For those of you who weren't here at the beginning of my last message, I said <clears throat> I'd be speaking on faith alone and Christ alone, but really, this morning is basically one big message in two parts. And the big idea is drawn from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, where Paul says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we looked at the first 16 words of that phrase in our last session. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. And now we come to the last three words. In Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Christ alone is the subject of this session. We saw in our last session that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Our works are inadequate. We cannot trust in ourselves and our merits. We need to look outside of ourselves for pardon, for sin, and acceptance with God. We need to look for, as Martin Luther, the reformer, said, an alien righteousness. Righteousness is not from around here. Righteousness is from somewhere else. It should go without saying if we've got to look for an alien righteousness, if we've got to look outside of ourselves for salvation. The object of our faith needs to be outside of ourselves. It should go without saying. It should go without saying. That we cannot therefore trust in faith itself for acceptance with God. We can't trust in our faith itself for acceptance with God. As in, someone might say, sure God, I may not have perfect obedience, but I do have faith. Accept me on the basis of my faith. I know I don't have perfect righteousness. I know that. I fully admit that. But I have faith. And your word says that we're saved through faith. And I have that. So, something in my hands I bring. And not only to thy cross I cling, but something in my hands I bring. And what I bring is my faith. See? All that does is turn faith into a work of the law. And we know that by works of the law, no one will be justified. We cannot have faith in our faith. You see, what faith is, is shifting confidence away from ourselves. And anything we do, anything we produce, towards something or someone else outside of ourselves. That's the nature of faith. We cannot have faith, therefore, in our faith. We need to look outside of ourselves for pardon for sin and acceptance with God. We've got to look somewhere else for our justification. We can't have faith in our faith. Let's look at a few other people and things outside of ourselves which ought not to be the object of our faith. And then we're going to look at Christ Jesus, the solely sufficient and solely appropriate object of our faith. But let's first look at who we should not place our faith in. First thing I want to say is people. No other men or women but Jesus. Jesus is a person, so that's why I want to qualify that. No other people. No other man but Jesus. No women. Jesus, only. 
Nobody else. Not pastors. Not priests. Not bishops. Not cardinals. And no pope. No person but Jesus. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 90. And I want to read to you verses 3 to 5. It's a prayer. Moses is speaking to God and he says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years is in your sight. A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. Now listen. Can you return somewhere that you didn't come from? Mm -mm. So when God returns man to dust, and Psalm 90 and verse 3, it's reminding us of the truth. From dust we were formed. Dust you are, it says elsewhere in the scriptures. Dust. Dust you are. Dust you are. God formed us from the dust of the ground. Pastors are dust. Bishops are dust. Cardinals are dust. The Pope is dust. The apostles, the so-called, well, even these apostles, even, even the apostle who wrote Galatians 2.16 is dust. And the so-called apostles who want to plaster their faces all over billboards, all over the place. Their big conferences. Gathering glory for themselves. Dust. Dust. Verse 5, Psalm 90. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Like grass. Like grass. Pastors. Grass. Bishops. Grass. Cardinals, grass. The Pope, grass. The Apostle Paul, grass. These so-called apostles gathering people to themselves saying, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. Grass. Grass. Dust and grass. This is what I am. Dust and grass. This is what Pastor Jonas is. Dust and grass. This is what men are, dust and grass. You cannot trust in dust and grass to save you. You cannot trust in dust and grass to get rid of your guilt, to get rid of your sin, to make you righteous in God's sight. You cannot trust in dust and grass. Hebrews chapter 7 
and verse 27 tells us that even the high priests in the Old Covenant had their own sins that they had to offer sacrifices for. Their own sins. Their own sins. Everyone but Jesus has their own sins that they got to deal with. And remember what we talked about in the first session. They can't deal with their own sins. I can't deal with my own sins. You can't deal with your own sins. Pastors, bishops, cardinals, popes, apostles, real and imagined. They have their own sins to deal with. And they cannot even deal with their own sins. Therefore, they cannot deal with your sins. They got enough problems. They themselves are undone in God's sight, for they are unclean. They themselves are sinners before a holy God. And they cannot, in and of themselves, present a case before God whereby they may be justified. They can't bring something from within themselves to deal with their own sins. Therefore, they cannot deal with your sins. Christian, don't rely too much on any man. Don't rely too much on your pastors. Don't rely too much on uh, heroes. They're dust. They're grass. They got their own sins to deal with. And they can't even deal with that in and of themselves, let alone your sins. Don't put your hope in any woman either. I say a man as in referring to mankind, but I'm actually also talking about men. Don't put your hope in any woman either. The same thing goes that I just said about dust and grass for any woman. But I want to mention one woman in particular, Mary. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 47. And I want you to read what Mary says about herself. Who was Mary? What role does she play in redemptive history? I want you to read what she said. Go back to the sources. What role does Mary play in redemptive history? Luke chapter 1 and verse 47. Mary's words. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's not a co-redemptress. Mary cannot save you. Mary had her own sins to deal with. And she couldn't even deal with those herself. She needed a Savior. You see... Everybody, anybody but Jesus has their own sins to deal with. Anybody, everybody is in the predicament that I presented to you this morning. Everybody is a sinner but Jesus. And everybody, 
everybody is without hope of being justified by works of the law. Everybody. Which means that everybody but Jesus has to look outside of themselves for salvation from their sin. Everybody has to look outside of themselves for salvation from their sin. Again, pastors, priests, bishops, cardinals, popes, Mary, everybody has to look outside of themselves for salvation from sin if they're going to be saved. So if they're looking to someone else to save them, why are you looking to them to save you? And if they're not looking to someone else to save them, if they're trusting in their own righteousness to save them, we saw this morning that righteousness is going to come up short and they will burn in hell. Which means you can't trust in their righteousness to save you because their righteousness isn't even going to save them. Do not put your trust in anybody but Jesus. Hallelujah. No people, no men, no women. I don't care who they are. Nobody but Jesus will save you. They're dust, they're grass, they got their own sins to deal with. And don't put your trust in the church as a whole, as if this group of sinners is going to save you. This institution comprised of sinners is going to save you. No priest, bishop, pope, or pastor can stand in between you and God as mediator. Nor can all the clergy together stand as mediator between you and God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. One mediator. It's not your pastor. It's not your priest. There is no bishop on earth that is your mediator. There is no pope on earth who is your mediator. Come to think of it, there is no bishop or pastor or priest or pope in heaven who is your mediator. That's what, that's what we're doing when, when, when people pray to the saints. That's what they're doing, right? They're looking for mediators not on earth but in heaven. So let me be clear about that as well. Not only on earth, but in heaven. Anywhere. There is no one anywhere but Jesus who is the mediator between God and man. One mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. That's what 1 Timothy 2, 5 tells us. So is it Christ Jesus, the mediator, and the church, the mediator? Well, that would make two. But, it, but what about Christ Jesus, the mediator, and my priest, the mediator? Well, that would make two. Yeah, but my pastor walks with God. I showed up one morning early because I needed to pick something up from his house and he was already awake and had been praying for an hour. He must be able to mediate for me with God. 
my pastor plus Christ Jesus. Well, that would make two. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So don't trust people as individuals and don't trust a collection of people, which is what the church is. Even the church as an institution of God has not been appointed a mediator. God appointed one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. And so we should not put our faith in our faith. We should not put our faith in other individuals. We should not put our, group, our faith in other, any other group of individuals. We should not put our faith in an institution. We should only put our faith in Christ Jesus. You need someone to get rid of your guilt. You need someone to mediate for you between you and God, to get rid of your guilt, to make you righteous so that you can be justified in God's sight. Only one person can do that. Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews 7.27, which I alluded to a couple of moments ago, tells us that high priests had their own sins to deal with. It also tells us, and I'm reading this verbatim, about Christ Jesus. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. I want to stop there for a moment. He has no need to offer sacrifices for his own sins, because there are none. There were none. Jesus Christ was without sin. And it goes on to say, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sins. And in that way, he's unlike the priests. That's one of the contrasts that is being brought out in Hebrews 7.27. And another contrast is between those priests who offered sacrifices daily and Christ Jesus who offered a sacrifice once for all. Hebrews 10 tells us that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so daily, the high priests of old kept coming with the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves and all of these divinely appointed, don't miss that point, divinely appointed substitutes. But when we come to the New Testament, what we see is that all of those things were meant to be pictures. God appointed those things, and God says in Hebrews 10.5 that it is impossible for those things to take away sin. So why did God appoint those things? He appointed those things to give us mental categories to understand one who was coming. We need a priest. We need someone to offer up a sacrifice for us. And we need a sacrifice to die in our place as a substitute. Jesus shows up on the scene, our great high priest, unlike those high priests of old. He has no need to offer sacrifices first for his own sin 
and then for the sake of others because he has no sin to speak of. And he has no need to offer them daily because he offered it once and for all. Jesus' death at the cross was him acting in a priestly function, offering up a sacrifice to God on behalf of sinners as the priests of old did. It wasn't to atone for his own sin. It was to atone for the sins of those whom he represented as priests. And Jesus was not only the priest. Jesus was the sacrifice itself. You remember when he came on the scene? What did John say? Behold the Lamb of God. <clears throat> Behold the Lamb of God. What do you think the people who heard John understood by that phrase? After centuries and centuries and centuries of blood, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. You mean this is the one we've been waiting for? This is the one whose blood actually will take away sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, and I might add lambs, to take away sin. But all the things, all the one whom all of those things were picturing is now here, right in front of us. This is the sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, he was acting in a priestly function, offering up a sacrifice to atone for the sins of those whom he represented. But Jesus was also acting in a lamb-like capacity, offering up himself as the sacrifice, the spotless lamb of God, dying on behalf of sinners. Hebrews 9.12 brings both of those things, the priestly and the lamb-like function together in one verse, and it says this, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Here's how it works. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. We've hammered home the point this morning that we have no righteousness of our own to bring to God. All the law does is bring down a curse upon us. We deserve to die. We deserve to be punished for our sin. When we look to the law, we don't see justification. When we look at the law as sinners, all we see is condemnation. We broke the law. 
We did not keep it. We broke it. So we failed to do what the law required. And we did what the law prohibited. And so we have both an absence of righteousness and the presence of guilt. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman. Why born of a woman? In order that He might be a suitable substitute. Why can't the blood of bulls and goats take away sin? Because bulls and goats aren't human and can't atone for human sin. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why was He born under the law? Again, to become a suitable substitute. Because human, a human needs to die for human guilt. A human needs to be punished for human guilt. And if humans without righteousness are going to be clothed in righteousness, it needs to be human righteousness. And so God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Those who were under the law needed redemption. That's implicit in that statement. We needed to be redeemed. Because our sins brought condemnation upon us. Our lack of righteousness brought condemnation upon us. And we stand impoverished and guilty and corrupt in God's eyes. So that we cannot any longer be justified by works of the law. We owe a debt to God's law. And in owing a debt to God's law, we owe a debt to God Himself. That we cannot pay. Jesus came to pay on our behalf. Born of a woman. Born under the law. Why? To be made like us in every respect. And yet without sin. Right? In order that He might be a suitable substitute for us. Born of woman. Born under the law. In order to redeem those who are under the law. His Death was the punishment-bearing death that sinners deserved. His life, he was born under the law. Why couldn't he just come and die right away? He was born under the law in order that he might have a life of law-keeping obedience to substitute for the law-breaking lives of sinners. Again, that he might be a substitute. A substitute. A substitute. This is what the Old Testament types and shadows and pictures were telling us. We need a substitute. We need a substitute. We need someone to present himself before God on our behalf with the blood of a substitute. A sacrifice of a substitute in order that God's wrath might be propitiated, turned away from us, and that we might be reconciled to him. Christ Jesus came to be that priest and to be that substitute. At the cross, He was the priest and at the cross, He was the Lamb. And at the cross, He paid the price of my redemption. Whoever looks to Him, whoever looks to Him, 
whoever shifts their confidence away from their own works of the law. For we know that by works of the law, no person will be justified, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Whoever shifts their confidence away from themselves and toward Christ and Christ alone will find that He is exactly what they need for salvation from sin. He is exactly what they need because He came by God's own appointment in order to satisfy God's own demands, in order to be God's own plan of redemption, in order to accomplish God's own purposes, namely to save sinners. Christ Jesus is tailor-made by the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be the priest that we need, to be the substitute that we need. If we shift our confidence away from ourselves toward Christ alone, we will find that we will not be as the scripture says, put to shame. If we build with him as the cornerstone, we will not be put to shame. So, 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 so simple. The Philippian jailer comes and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul Anderson, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Despair of yourself. By works of the law, no one will be justified. But through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Shift your confidence away from yourself and don't put it in anyone else. Get your confidence off of yourself and get your confidence on to Christ Jesus and you will be saved. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He's ready and willing and able to save sinners. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. There is no one else, no one else who can answer the demands of the law on your behalf. Pastors can't do it, priests can't do it, bishops can't do it, cardinals can't do it, popes can't do it, and apostles, real or imagined, can't do it. Even the church itself cannot do it. No one can atone for your sins. Nothing can atone for your sins. There is no other Savior out there. There is salvation in no one else, as Acts 4.12 tells us. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. When you think about what we need, we need our guilt atoned for, and we need righteousness. There is no one else and nothing else in all of creation sufficient to atone for your guilt. No one else and nothing else in all of creation to give you righteousness. No one else and nothing else. Only Christ. Christ alone. He is 
everything you need for salvation from sin because he is the God-appointed Savior of the world. The God-appointed mediator. He is, as I said, tailor-made by the Godhead as it were to be the Savior of men. He is exactly what fallen sinners need. He was born of woman, born under the law, in order that he might be the acceptable Lamb of God. He was appointed as a representative for men in order that his works of righteousness and his wrath-bearing, punishment-bearing death on the cross could be justly counted to all those whom he represents. God appointed him to that work and God fit him for that work. And he came and did that work. Hallelujah. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. It's as if, it's as if, and this isn't how it happened. We could get into all questions of God's atemporality and the wills in the Godhead and so on and so forth. But it's as if in eternity past, the Father said, I purpose to save sinners and they need a Savior. They need a substitute. They need a man to act as their representative, to live a righteous life in their place, and to die a wrath-bearing punishment, bearing death in their place. And it is as if the Son said, I will go. And the Father said, okay, I commission you to this work. Go and save these people from their sins. And Christ came to do just that. Amen. Christ is the divinely appointed, divinely ordained, divinely crafted Savior for fallen men and women and boys and girls. He is everything we need. And He alone is everything we need. Nobody else, nobody else can get rid of our guilt. Nothing else, nothing else can get rid of our guilt. Nobody else, nobody else can clothe us in their righteousness. Nothing else, nothing else can wrap around us garments of righteousness. But Christ Jesus, by His death on the cross, got rid of our guilt. And Christ Jesus wraps the righteousness that He earned, that He accomplished by His law-keeping life around us. So that when we come to God, we say as the, the, the hymn writer wrote, nothing in my hands I bring, not by works of the law, Nothing. Not, I'm not even trusting in my own faith. I don't have faith in my faith. I don't have faith in my works of law. And I don't have faith in my faith. I'm banking it all on Christ and Christ alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. 
I mentioned earlier that God's love will never be expressed in an unholy way. But at the cross, God's love was expressed in a holy way. God's unyielding and unflinching holiness was honored and respected and was not compromised at the cross. Sin was punished at the cross. God did not look the other way at sin, as it were. But God poured out His wrath, the punishment that was deserved for sin at the cross. And oh, what love that is. Because when God poured out His wrath and poured out His punishment for my sin, it wasn't on me. It wasn't towards me. So you see, God has loved me. God is love. God loves in accordance with His holiness. Christ answered the strict demands of God's law on our behalf. And so Romans 3 tells us that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. In the 16th century, when the debate began to rage about how it is that a person may be justified, how it is that a person may receive pardon for their sin and find acceptance with God as righteous, some turned to the scriptures for an answer. And they found that all hope is lost if we look inward. But they found in the scriptures that if we look upward, we see a sufficient Savior, the only sufficient Savior. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Christ alone. Christ alone.